I will be reading John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you didn't understand by now, we're going to be in John 15. So if you have your Bibles, uh, whether you're looking on your iPhones, your iPads, your Androids, whatever it is, open your Bible to John 15 and uh, let's us just land there for just a little bit this morning. It is extremely an honor for us to be here. Um, I want you to know that you have my assurance. I take my... Oh, sorry. <laughs> He just told me that, and I forgot. All those for, for junior worship are dismissed now, up to third grade. I was hoping maybe it was simple enough they could understand too, but we'll. <laughs> I had a, I had a uh, professor in college says, you preach like you were preaching to junior hires, and everybody will understand. So um, that's not, that, don't take offense at that. Um, I, I want to assure you as your new pastor that, that I take very seriously what I do in my preaching and my teaching. Um, I'm very much committed to the truth of God's Word. And if you ever hear me say anything that doesn't seem to ring true with the Word, I want you to challenge me on it. Because I am not perfect, and I may make mistakes. I want to know about it, because what I would like to see always proclaimed from this podium is absolute truth, always. Uh, and so uh, I will commit myself to doing my absolute best to make sure that I only proclaim truth, um, and, um, and we'll, we'll take it from there and let the Holy Spirit work. I would like to pray as I begin this morning uh, and just ask the Holy Spirit to be among us. <sighs> Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you are part of the Godhead, and we, we need you. So much of our lives gets overtaken with things of the world, and we ask right now that you just settle down among us, that you come on us, that you fill us, and all those voids where we've left empty, or whether there are things that wants to push God out of our lives, I pray that you would fill those spots today. Would you would you settle into our minds and help us to understand what your word has for us? Would you uh, settle into our hearts and give us the passion and the conviction to stand on what we know and believe? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> In John 15, <clears throat> Jesus and the disciples have just left the upper room. You guys remember the story. Um, <clears throat> they just finished eating the Last Supper. Um, and Jesus knows that there's not much time left. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows that he's going to be crucified. He's going to be arrested, beaten, crucified. And he also knows what's coming for his disciples. He's got his guys with him that have been with him for the last three years. But he also knows that when what happens to him that something will happen to those people as well. And he, he knows that he's going to charge them with the Great Commission. He's going to charge them to go into the world and proclaim the good news. Uh, he's going to challenge them to uh, 
go wherever they go spreading the gospel. And he knows that they're going to face persecution. And he knows that all but one of them will be martyred. And you say, well, how does he know that? Well, God's outside of time, for one thing. But he knows this is going to happen. And so um, he knows that they will face discouragement and doubt. And we see that in the, in the, in the days that follow. Discourage and doubt sets in fast. Um, there's going to be confusion and uncertainty. Wait a minute, we thought this guy was going to uh, set up the kingdom on earth. Why, now he's dead. What's going on um, in, the, in the time but until he raises again? And I, I can imagine him walking along the countryside as they head away from the Last Supper and him thinking to himself, what should I tell him? What can I say to him that will stick? What can I say that will help them get through the times of discouragement? What can I say to them? How can I motivate them and challenge them? What can I say that will give them direction as they set out on their mission? I just wonder that if the things he would say to them would be the same things he would say to us. And that brings us to John chapter 15... And he says some things, and it's maybe not what you would think he would say. What I want us to, to recognize is that Jesus was a master teacher. Now, I, I long to teach like Jesus. I, I doubt that I'll ever make it that good. He was a master teacher, and one of the things that he used was metaphors. You guys know what a metaphor is, uh, I'm sure. I'll explain that as we go along. If you're like, nah, I don't remember my, my English. Um, um, a metaphor, and, and he used controlling metaphors that, that made it very clear what he was wanting. A metaphor is just a few words that would create a, a full picture. And, and so it, something that would provide deep meaning and far-reaching application with significant implications. Now, I, I, I forgot to mention, I, I have put in the, in the bulletin a, a sermon note sheet. If you like to take notes, some of you got it already. Um, there are some places where you can fill in the blanks. I don't make you write, write everything out, but um, follow along there and, and fill those out. It might help you remember this stuff. Anyway, a controlling metaphor can evolve and can apply in different circumstances. So Jesus used this type of teaching all through his ministry. He said things like, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We're not really light. We're not really salt. But that's a metaphor saying this is who you are to be. Uh, all those metaphors understand and helped us today even understand who we're supposed to be. And, and this is very important because when you understand who you are, Listen to this. When you understand who you are, then you'll know what to do. If you don't understand who you are, you won't know what to do. And so, as a church family, as we begin looking to the future, I wanted to start us off this year with some metaphors, some mantras, if you will, that we can use to remind us who we are. For this Sunday and the next four Sundays, we're going to talk about different mantras. Today, we're going to talk about being the branch. And it's one thing to use a metaphor that's just like, like a, a business best practice. A lot of people, a lot of businesses have their, well, you know, you know I can't even think some of the business, but, but, but it, it doesn't really apply to Scripture. What I want us to do is only look at metaphors and only look at mantras that come directly from the Gospels. 
So we know that there's something that we can guarantee that they're true and they're right, and we can hang on to those. Um, <clears throat> because, uh, once again, when we know who we are, we will know what to do. Here's the reality is behavior flows from identity. Let that sink in. Behavior flows from identity. I, I have a, a friend, uh, Shane Wood, who uh, is a professor at Ozark, and he tells his kids before they go to school, now, who are we? And they say, we're the Woodses. Well, what, what do the Woodses do? Say, well, we love Jesus and we're Christians. Well, what does a Christian do? Well, he doesn't hurt people with their hands or their words. And, uh, and, and his children now know how to behave because of their understanding of who they are. We're the woods. We don't do those things. We're Christian. We love Jesus. And so as we begin this brand new year, I want us to look at some mantras. And a mantra is just a few words that can be repeated over and over again to remind us of truth and to inspire and to motivate us. And it challenges us and gives us direction. Jesus gives us our first mantra right here in this passage of Scripture. As he's walking along with his disciples, he says, Be the branch. This is our first mantra. Be the branch. I'm probably going to say it 50 times before this is done. I want you to remember that God calls us to be the branch. And if we understand who we are, we'll know what to do. In the, the, the metaphor of being the branch, we all know, you've all seen vines or trees. There is a main part of every plant that grows. If you look at a grapevine, the main vine is into the ground, and that is where all the nutrients come from. So the branches that grow out from the main vine, they get everything that they need from the vine. Jesus says here, be the branch... Don't be the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And so we many times get this backwards um, because we tend to think that we're the vine. And we tend to think that, that we're the ones that are responsible for carrying out what we're supposed to do. John, look at, at, at your passage again. I want to read verse 5 through 7 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what can we do apart from him? So if a, a branch can't do anything unless it's connected to the vine, we can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me... He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. In John 15, one word shows up 11 times in 11 verses and it's remain. Remain in me. Remain in me. Stay in me. Stay connected. Be the branch. And that's what he's trying to say. Remain connected to the branch. As a church family, here's what I would say. If we, if, if it doesn't matter what else we get right, if we get this wrong. It doesn't matter what else we get right. It doesn't matter if we have great singing from the stage. It doesn't matter if we have, if we don't get this right, nothing else matters. And I'm talking across the board in your own spiritual life. If you don't get this right, 
You may say, well, I, I tithe every week. I'm, I'm at every service. I go to Sunday school and everything. It doesn't matter if you don't get this right. This is the crux of the whole message today and this mantra. We have to stay connected to Jesus because without him we can do nothing. You all, you all have heard of mantras before. You've probably heard some and you're like, well, I didn't think about that being a mantra. <clears throat> but uh, there was a sports psychologist that, that said a lot of times he will coach individual players or teams because maybe they're going through a slump and they're struggling and they need a mantra to set them up. And he, and he talked about quarterback that's, that's having trouble when he drops back in the pocket. He's not taking his full last step and so he's not set solid. And so he'll give him a mantra. Make sure you set that last foot. You know, uh, for me, I have a mantra when I golf. You know, <laughs> it's, it's watch out. No. Um, <laughs> my mantra is I have a tendency to hurry because I think if I swing fast back that I'm going to get a lot of distance. But I have to tell myself every time I stand and address a ball, I tell myself in my mind, slow backswing, slow backswing, because it's all about control in golf. It's not about speed. And so that's my golfing mantra. Uh, you probably have some of your own. I don't know. Uh, even Dory had a mantra. You remember what Dory's mantra was? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. That was her mantra. She said it over and over again. Whenever she got lost and didn't know what to do, what did she say? Just keep swimming. Just. You see, a mantra is very helpful for us when we have those times where we get a little bit lost and we get out of, off track a little bit, the mantra brings us and centers us again. Uh, I can imagine that this kind of thing could help us in our walk with Jesus. Maybe if you struggled with anger, maybe you need to say, count to ten, count to ten. Maybe that needs to be your mantra. Or maybe if uh, you have struggled with patience, maybe you need to start saying, wait, wait. Whatever it is, a mantra can be very helpful for us. Um, an athlete who experiences fatigue, the right mantra at the right time can refocus them. Um, I, I heard someone tell about a, a runner who was a, a world-class runner, and he said every runner experiences a time where they, they feel like they're not going to be able to make it. And he said whenever he reached that point in the race, what he said was, the finish line is closer than I think. The finish line is closer than I think. And it reinvigorated him and kept him going. And he, op he, he functioned at a world-class level. A mantra is a good thing. And sometimes team mantras <coughs> are very helpful. Um, the Golden State Warriors at one point, I'm not a big fan of them. I uh, hope nobody else is. Um, it's not a bad thing, but um, their mantra was, and they even printed T-shirts that said, Strength in Numbers. And so when they saw one another as a team, they knew that they were better together. Matter of fact, the men in the Sunday school class, we were kind of talking about this, that as we grow closer together, we become stronger as a whole. So there's strength in numbers. When we are told to be the branch, it's who we are, not because of our efforts. So many times we get sidetracked on production rather than connection. You know what I mean? You see, I grew up believing that if I could just be good enough, I would make my dad like me, I would make my mom like me, and then I believed that if I could just be good enough, that I could make Jesus like me and God would like me. And if I struggled, then I just needed to try harder. Well, see, that's all about production. And what that really is, is I was trying to be 
the vine. The vine is the one that produces the food. The vine is the one that takes care of the branches. And I misunderstood that the truth is God called me to be a branch, not a vine. He never said, Kevin, I just want you to be self-sufficient. I want you to pull up your bootstraps and I want you to strap it on and you just make it happen. No. He said, you absolutely cannot make it happen without me. I just need you to connect. I just need you to stay connected to me and you will get where you need to go. Maybe you live with a pressure to perform. Maybe it's something your parents... Uh, now, there's some parents in the room. Don't, don't look at your parents if they did this, okay? Please. But a lot of times there's pressure to perform by parents. Um, and sometimes even by church leaders. I, you know, some of the worst uh, abuse that uh, I've received has been from church groups. Um, from someone from the pulpit saying, you just need to work harder. You, it, it's your responsibility. That's not the truth of the gospel. Truth of the gospel is God just wants me to be a, a branch and he wants me to stay connected to him. He will provide all the strength. He will provide everything I need if I stay connected from him. Remember in the Old Testament, Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt and uh, they started griping, which this happens a lot. Uh, griping is, a, is, a, is a, a terrible thing. We see it in all of our lives. But they were griping. We don't have anything to drink. And Moses said, God, listen to them. They're complaining because there's no water. Seems a little ridiculous. Of course, everybody needs water. God said to Moses, what? Speak to the rock and water will flow and everyone will be taken care of. And what did Moses do? He hit the rock with his staff. Now, water still flowed. And, I all, and, and immediately following, God said, Moses, you don't get to go to the promised land because you didn't obey me. You didn't do what I said. And I always thought that the reason that he didn't get to go to the promised land was because he hit the rock. I've changed my mind. Because what it says in that passage of Scripture, Moses says to the people, must we bring forth water out of this rock? And what he said at that point was, I'm responsible for this. And God's like, wait a minute. There's no we. There's only me. I'm the one that said, speak to the rock. I will provide from the rock. And Moses, in his plea to the people, said, must we do this? And I believe it's because he took the credit for that, that that's the reason he didn't get to go to the promised land. He said it was my doing. We are to be simply branches and let God be the provider. Our hope is not in ourselves ever. If anyone ever tells you, listen, you just have to try harder. It's all up to you. I, I, sometimes I hate those mottos. If it's, if it's up to me, what is the, what is the saying? Uh, if it's up to me, it will be or something like that. You know what? That's, that's a worldly statement that is not truth. For the Christian, if it's up to God, then it will be. And if we don't let him have control of that, um, what happens is we begin believing in ourselves. 
Our hope is not in ourselves, but only in the vine. Now, I want you to notice something else. In John 15, 1, Jesus makes an interesting statement because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense at first read. And if you pay attention, he says, I am the true vine. Well, if Jesus is the true vine, that means there are what? There's some fa- false ones. There's some fake vines. He says, very specifically, I am the true vine. So many times, we can let our spouse become our vine. We can say, I'm going to rely on you for strength. I'm going to get everything I need from you. And, and marriages struggle when this happens. When a husband or a wife relies on the other person as their vine, as their source of strength, then that marriage falters and sometimes even fails because we've misplaced who the vine is. Sometimes our children become our vine. We're just like, we just got to live for our children. We got to do everything our children want us to do. That's not true. That's not true. And when we place their needs above everything, there are times when our children can become the vine. And we try to live vicariously through them. I'm going to make my son a, a starting fullback on that, you know, because I didn't make it or whatever it is. Sometimes we can allow children to become a, fa- a false vine. Also, our jobs at times can become, we find all of our satisfaction in who we are on the, in the job place. If I, if I do well, if I get advancements, if I bring this deal in, I'm somebody, and we allow that to be our source. The truth is, <clears throat> there's only one true vine. I want, I want you to put that picture up of the, of the turkey bacon, or the turkey wrapped in bacon. Do you have that? Oh, darn. <laughs> it was glorious. There was, there was a man one time, this is a true story, whose wife brought home turkey bacon. She called it bacon. She said she did it for the family's health. There's something wrong with that. <laughs> Putting the phrase turkey in front of bacon, it's an abomination in reality. Did this come from a turkey pig? I mean, where, where do you get turkey bacon? It's just not what God wanted. I don't know who came up with that. There's no such thing as turkey bacon. The minute you put turkey in front of it, it no longer becomes bacon. It's kind of like having broccoli donuts. It's not a donut if it's made out of broccoli. It's just grossness. Well, over the years, this man began to accept this. And he knew that it was his wife, and was he going to tell her? But when he would go out for breakfast with his friends, he'd make up for it. He'd buy, get extra bacon and not tell his wife, of course, that he was imbibing in that. But he made up for it as much as he could with other, with other opportunities. But there was a point where he realized his son was becoming a man. And he said, I felt like a failure as a father. So he sat his son down and said, son, we need to talk about something. Your mom has tried to tell you that turkey bacon is bacon, and it's not. And he introduced him to real bacon, and it changed his life. He told his son, son, this is bacon. 
and I'm telling you this that your joy may be complete. <laughs> now the boy even asked for bacon for his birthday <laughs> and his grandma brings it to him. But John 15:1 says, I am the true vine. I'm the real deal. There are a lot of fakes that from a distance look great. I don't know if you noticed up here, I've got a stick with me today. This is my stick. And the farther away from it you get, the better it will look because you won't be able to tell exactly what's going on there. But sometimes I wonder if as Christians this is what we've settled for. You see, I've got some fruit hanging on here. I've got some oranges, some apples, and some grapes hanging out there. But the fact is, they're not real. Now, way in the back row, it might, they might look sort of real from there, but I guarantee these people on the front row, they're like, uh-uh, that ain't the real thing. The closer you get to it, the more you realize, wait a minute, that's fake fruit. You see, a stick is really not good for bearing fruit. What's a stick good for? What do you do with a stick? You throw it in a pile and burn it. You burn it. A lot of people, I think, look at us and they say, well, that looks pretty good. But if they've never tasted fruit, and the closer they get to them, if we're, if we're just a stick, if we're not really a branch, the closer they get to the fruit, they realize, wait a minute, something wrong here. If that's what real fruit is about, I don't want anything to do with it. How many times have we turned away people from coming to Jesus because we've been a stick. We're, we're trying to put some fruit out there, but the closer you get to that, people realize that's not real. That's not a real characteristic in them. And they're just putting on a show. They're just putting up fake fruit. I wonder that if we're not careful... Instead of being branches that bear real fruit, we could easily become a church that's full of sticks with plastic tied to the end. That's not what God asked for. You know the mantra, be the stick, doesn't have much of a ring to it. (laughs) Be the branch, however, is a different picture altogether. Nobody wants to be the stick. God says, I want you to be the branch. What is a kind of church that looks like that's really bearing real fruit? Well, it's everybody, or, or that's, that's, that's bearing false fruit, the, the, the fake fruit. What does this look like? It, it's everybody comes and they look their best, but nobody feels like they can share the ugliness of life. It's people that may be known for their great building, but they don't really have much love coming from them. Maybe it's a church that can draw a crowd, but they don't have any committed followers. Maybe it's a church that focuses on the minimum that we can give rather than embracing the challenge of generosity. Maybe it's a church that's known for its events rather than its radical love. It's a church that's known for power plays rather than humble service. Known for flashiness rather than faithfulness. It's a church for known that's known for how many people it can seat rather than how many people it can send. And if we're not careful, we can become that. God calls us to be the branch. And have you ever heard of the phrase sucker branch? Do you have that picture? 
You got a sucker branch picture? No pictures of sucker branch. Who knows what a sucker... Oh, there we go. You guys know what sucker branches are? Okay, if you've raised the garden and raised tomatoes, you'll understand that this little sucker branch, I didn't learn this till just a couple years ago. My father-in-law is an avid gardener. He says, you've got to pull those sucker branches. I'm like, I have to search through all the plant? And, yep. If you want your vines to produce good, you have to pull a sucker branch. You know what a sucker branch does? Sucks. All it does is sucks. It doesn't produce any fruit ever. It just steals nutrients from the vine and it just sits there in the corner of the other branches and sucks. Takes life, never produces anything. You get too many sucker branches in a church and the same thing happens. And one of the things you have to ask yourself today, am I a sucker branch or am I a real branch? Because the sucker branch comes and they may come to every service, but they don't ever serve. They may come and they may put money in the offering, but they don't ever offer themselves to help anyone with anything. They've just become a sucker. Jesus doesn't say, what he doesn't say is, I haven't got much time for you, but here's some instructions that I'll give you. Jesus doesn't say, here's the list of 100 things I want you to have done by 100 AD. He doesn't say, here's the five-year gospel plan for uh, uh, evangelizing the world. He simply says, be the branch. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. He knows that if they can understand that this is who they are, then they will know what to do. And the same thing is true for us today. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can bear nothing. What does this look like for us? Maybe, maybe it means you finally surrendering to the Lordship of Christ and saying, I've been being the vine all my life. I've let my job be my defining uh, factor of who I am. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to say, you know what, I, I just want to surrender to the vine because I know that I can't do anything of myself. Maybe this morning you need to decide that. Maybe you're overcoming an addiction. And you say, I'm trying to do it all on my own. Well, it's time to tap into the vine for the vine's strength. Because you won't be able to do it on your own. Those kind of successes only come when we abide in the vine. Maybe it's just submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all of your life. Maybe you've never, never given Him over control and you say well I want to stay in control you know what that is it's called being the the vine if you want to stay in control and not let him have it's called being the vine and we've plainly noticed that Jesus said I'm the only vine here time for you to remain in me if anxiety rules your life you know what anxiety is it's me being the vine 
Anxiety means I have to control this situation. I can't trust God to control this. I have to be worried about it. I have to be anxious about it because I'm responsible to make this happen. Why not let God be the one? Let's start trusting Him to be the one. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And as they're coming, I just want us to recognize a truth. Every single one of us always has a next step we need to take. All of us. I don't know what your next step is, but I want you to ask yourself, what is my next step? Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You know what the next step would be? For you to accept Him. Let Him be your Lord and Savior. Maybe, maybe you're hanging on the edge. Maybe you've, you've thought about tithing and, and you haven't committed to that. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's what you need to decide to do. Every one of us, at every week that we're here, there is an option for a next step. Maybe it's just simply being more patient. Maybe it's simply being uh, kind to the neighbor that's, that's causing you grief or whatever it may be. I want, and, and this is something that I'm going to challenge you on a regular basis, to ask yourself, what's my next step? What is my next step? I want, I want to show you a picture my niece is a bit of an amateur painter, but she does a pretty good job. I've asked her to paint the whole mantra series for me. And what we're going to do is, if I don't come across any great um, controversy, I want us to hang these pictures so that at any time we can be reminded, this is how I stay connected. This is who I am. I'm the branch. She's going to come one of these weeks, and I'll introduce you to her. Um, and, but, but I want us to always have a reminder, because this is so significant. I believe that this whole mantra series will set the tone for where the church goes in the next months and years ahead. If we commit to being the branch, God will stay faithful to being the vine, and great things will happen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing our closing. If anyone has a decision that they would like to make public... Hopefully, what I have to say here will help us to see what God says about getting connected to that vine. <clears throat> Every fall, I hear people ooing and aahing about the marvelous colors when all I see is dull browns and yellows of dying leaves. No, God has painted a marvelous picture of the relationship he wants us to have with him. And I kind of get the feeling that I see that picture just about as well as I see the other one. 
but what I do see, I think, would take somebody with a whole lot better communicator than I am, at least a whole year of sermons, because it's so tremendous and so great and so beautiful. But the heart and center of that picture is what we're about to do now. Every offering or sacrifice that God asks for points to giving God first and best that we have. And God never asks anything from us that he hasn't given to us or for us. And when God was ready to give his first fruit offering, he did it in the Passover time, in the celebration that was to be made with unleavened bread. And Jesus kept that celebration with his apostles in order to show them the meaning of it. And it was a special part of that unleavened bread that he identified as a picture of his body. And the cup that he had afterward was grape juice that he showed as a picture of the blood that he shed for us. It was the grapes from that vine that is to cleanse us and carry us through. Now, a man that I consider a better Bible scholar than I am told of a time when he and the group with him used soda crackers and orange juice. Because that was the best that they had at the time. And a woman I know was born and raised on a mission field where grape juice was hard to get. Her dad made several unsuccessful attempts to start some grapevines. And it has bothered me when I go to take communion in a church that uses light bread for for the picture of Christ. And I've taken part in times when we broke off a piece of that light bread and dipped it in the juice and then ate it. It didn't occur to me at the time, but that's the truth of the Bible picture of the next first fruits offering. 
that offering calls for leavened bread. And it's part of what is mentioned in in Leviticus 22-23 where it says we are to make a free will offering of blemished animal when it comes that time for us to offer ourselves the best that we have is blemished you know I started to make biscuits one time then changed my mind and rolled the dough out all nice and thin and made a pie instead but the bacon powder was in the dough and I had a puffed up crust (laughs) the best that we have is blemished and it takes that connection with the first offering before we can even be acceptable to God I've heard a lot of sermons from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, but I can't recall any of them mentioning the main point of that text. Paul Paul said, I'm speaking of the church. And it's not until we come in obedient commitment to the groom that we can become part of the bride of Christ. When Paul exhorted the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11, and warned them about maybe partaking in an unworthy manner, it was by not discerning the body. And he told them to examine themselves. And that examining themselves was really in order to determine what we can do to serve the body. Jesus demonstrated his commitment by going to the cross, by suffering all the abuse that preceded it, and then giving his life for us. And if you want a picture of him and his sacrifice, it has to be the unleavened. But until we commit ourselves that leaven is in us and we cannot be part of the body. He illustrated it 
at the beginning of this celebration by washing the apostles' feet, beginning with Judas. And Judas committed suicide instead of committing himself. And if we fail to commit ourselves, are we not committing suicide? Will we remember the sacrifice Jesus made? Here was the bread and the cup. But remember, to be part of that vine, we have to commit ourselves and get connected. Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, we come to you at this time of, of communion and we just we give our hearts over to you, we give our minds over to you, we give our strength over to you. And we pray that we are abiding in you. And we pray as we take this communion that, uh, that we remember that sacrifice and that we, uh, we are cleansed of our, our shortcomings and our, our missing of the mark, our sins and that we are renewed in you. We pray all this in Christ's holy, precious name. Amen.
You bow with me. God, it is uh, great to be in your house again today, and we just thank you for what we've learned so far today and for just all the, all the amazing things you do for our lives. And um, we just, at this time, at this offering time, just wish to return a portion of those blessings and, and just pray that it's used wisely and for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>